Amen. Why don't you have a seat? So good to see you. I'm Eric, one of the pastors here at the chapel. And before we jump into today's message, I want to remind you, if you haven't done this already, to sign up for our foundations class. It's next Friday night, 6 to 8.30, and then Saturday morning, 8.30 to 12. We will be done by the Buckeye game, that I can promise you. And looking forward to connecting with others and growing in our understanding of the Bible understanding of prayer, understanding of just different theological things you may be wondering. Uh, It's also a great time to learn who the chapel is, what we believe, what our values and vision is. And it's also a prerequisite class to join the chapel. So if you've wanted to join the chapel, all you have to do is come to that class, and we'll tell you more after that. So the way you can sign up is uh, text foundations to that phone number on the screen, or you can go to the chapel.family slash events, or you can take the connect card that you received, Write your name and information on the back and then put it in our giving boxes on the way out. All right? You know, when I was 17, uh, started to come to the chapel, started to believe in Christ, and the next step for me was to start opening the Bible for myself and reading it. And I didn't know what to expect when I opened the Bible. But I was thinking to myself, I am about to read about all these perfect people who have perfect lives who have perfect faith, who do incredible things for God because they are perfect. And then once I got to about page two, I realized that no, they aren't perfect. The only perfect person is found towards about three-fourths of the Bible. He has four chapters dedicated to his life, Jesus. But other than that, people in the Bible are a mess, like truly a mess. And yet what I realized is it's in the mess and in their past and in who they are that God still uses them. They aren't who they should be, but God's okay with that and still chooses them to do incredible things for God. And God wants to do that with us. He wants to go and choose the unlikely, those who are ordinary, those with a past. He will use everybody. The only person he won't use is a Steelers fan. It's Brown Steelers Day. You know I had to get that in. But think about it. When you read scripture, you see Joseph. Joseph, he was a slave, and yet he was asked to save his family and an entire nation from a famine. Or how about Moses, a shepherd and a murderer used to lead the nation of Israel? Or what about David, a last-born shepherd boy, an adulterer, a murderer? God used him, and he was a great king. How about Esther? I love the story of Esther, a, a slave girl that God used her to save her people from a massacre. Or what about Matthew, a tax collector? chosen to be an apostle, or Peter, an everyday fisherman to lead the early church and write part of the New Testament, or Mary, a peasant girl, an ordinary girl, chosen to be the mother of the Savior of the world. People with a decorated past, people who are ordinary people you would walk by on the streets, just everyday people chosen to do incredible things for God. And that's God's character. That is who he is. He's the kind of God that asks the most unlikely people to do great things. And you and I are the same way. We're unlikely, ordinary, everyday, hardworking parents, grandparents, workers, coaches, 
teachers. We're everyday people, and yet God wants to use you to do incredible things for him. And we're going to find that out through a man named Gideon. So if you have your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 6. If Judges sounds familiar, it's because we were in Judges last week. Chapters 4 and 5, we were looking at a woman's story named Deborah. And in chapter 6, we continue to see that in Judges, there's a theme. And I would argue the theme of Judges is as close to the theme of America as you can get. The Bible's very relevant. The theme of Judges is about a people who say that they love God and who are grateful that God created them, but they don't want God to lead their life. Sound familiar? Anybody else who loves that God created you and yet you're like, hey God, you go back to doing that creator thing because I'm about to lead my own life kind of thing. And the Israelites were those kinds of people. And it got them into trouble. And this time, it got them into trouble with a group called the Midianites. Now the Midianites, they were oppressing the Israelites for seven years, destroying their property, stealing from them. In fact, they were stealing all of their food and the Israelites were becoming hungry. They were starving. And so the Israelites do what we oftentimes do. God, I'm in a pinch. God, I'm in a ditch. God, I'm struggling. Help me. And you know what's incredible about the character of God? God doesn't say, it's you again. He says, oh, it's you again? I'll help you. And he does so again with the Israelites through this man named Gideon. Gideon is an everyday dude. He's a farmer. He's a hard worker. And God uses him, the most unlikely person, to do incredible things. So here's the beginning of his story. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, not to be confused with the great Oprah, no, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, these details don't seem to be a big deal, but they are. I don't know a lot about threshing wheat. Maybe you do, but I had to understand what that is and why this detail is such a big deal to the story. You see, Gideon is threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. And there's not a lot of airflow or a lot of wind that goes in through the bottom of the basement of a wine press. And yet you needed wind and airflow to thresh wheat because you needed to toss the, white, uh, the wheat grains in the air, the wind would blow the chaff away, and then the grain would settle at the bottom. But guess what? Gideon is in the basement, which made his job harder. And the reason he's not in the public doing this and and using that airflow that he would need is because he was scared. He was fearful. He thought to himself, well, the Midianites are going to come around and steal again. I have to get away and make sure they don't do that. So to recap, Gideon, an everyday farmer, hardworking guy, who's fearful. But what does the angel of the Lord declare over him? Calls him mighty hero. Not mighty zero. Mighty, thank you for that laugh over there. Mighty 
hero. How in the world can that be possible? I mean, this farmer is an everyday guy who is fearful, and yet he is called a hero in the sight of God. How is that possible? Here's why it is. And I want this to be personal for you right now for a moment. God calls the unlikely. Remember, God asked the most unlikely people to do great things. He calls the unlikely. He chooses the unlikely. He wants the unlikely to do great things for him. And the reason he does that, and the reason he calls him a mighty hero is because God does not call him what he is. He calls him what will be. He sees who Gideon can become. He sees who Gideon will do for him. And he declares that over his life. Significance, value, worth. All of which you and I desire on a daily basis. We may not think of it that way, but we live our lives constantly with wanting value and significance. While God declares it over us, even if we don't see it or if other people don't see it in us, he still gives us that. You know how I know we do that? Because many of us are workaholics. We don't know how to say no. We have to be liked by every single person. We have to make sure to, to pack our calendars full so that I feel like I have worth on a weekend or a weeknight. We have to live for the next promotion. We can't put our phones down. We all want value. We all want significance. And we see it and we go after it in a different way. But all of us yearn for it. Gideon yearned for it. And yet here comes the Lord declaring over him, you are a mighty hero. It reminds us of how God sees us. If you really want to wipe away the desire of trying to find your worth and value and significance and who you are or what you do, just listen to what God says about you. Let that overwhelm you. Let that define you. Let that be what you think about every single day. You know what's interesting? God says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are his masterpiece. Let that sink in for a moment. God, the great artist, painted you as you are because he has so much in store for you. I like to say he broke the mold with you and then he broke the mold with you and he broke the mold with you. If God had a wallet, all those pictures would fall out and he would go up to people and say, this is my son, this is my daughter. I created him, I created him. So proud. When's the last time that you thought of yourself in light of that? You don't have to strive. You can put the phone down. You can say no. Because you're God's masterpiece. The other day, Paul and I were uh, getting ready in our uh, bathroom for the day, and, and Micah comes in. Micah's our six-year-old. And it's throwing Paula and I because our eight-year-old Hudson, he is obsessed with sports. I mean, he will be, when I get home today to watch the Browns and see he's going to be ready. He's going to have everything going. He's going to know who's playing. He's going to know everything. 
Micah loves sports too, but he is an artist. Like Hudson would color things and get it done. Micah sits down and he colors inside the lines. It's unbelievable. He's a better colorer than I am. Now it doesn't take much, but he really is. And he comes into our bedroom and he draws a tree. And he is radiant about this tree. He loves drawing trees. He thinks he's the Picasso of trees. And he shows us and he goes, Mom, Dad, what do you think about this tree? And of course, what do you do? Oh, this is the greatest tree we've ever seen. It is amazing. And of course, he's so excited and he's loving it. And then he disappears. So Paul and I keep talking, getting ready for the day. And he comes back with a stack of papers full of trees. Lots of trees, lots of colors. And then he says, Mom, Dad, I want you to select the trees that you like the most. You can put them in your bathroom. You can put them on the fridge. You can take them wherever you want. Daddy, you want to take it to work? I just want you to have these trees. A couple days ago, we were in the back of the car. My boys are coming home from school, and Micah's still thinking about trees. And his older brother's sitting there. And Micah goes, Hudson, do you think I'm good at drawing trees? And before Micah could, or Hudson could say something like a mean older brother sometimes will do, I said, yes, he likes your trees. <laughs> Hudson got the picture. Even if Hudson would have said no, I don't think it would have deter deterred Micah because he was proud of those trees. They were his. He wanted to display them everywhere. You have the same value, same worth. As my son looks at a tree and will show everybody and nothing will deter him from being proud of that. You can't stop God from being proud of you. You're in his wallet. You're on his fridge. You're everywhere in his house. And what's so amazing about God is he creates you and he loves you as you are, but then he wants to take it a step further. And then we see what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He tells us, but he shows his great love. You would think enough is him creating us, but then he goes further. He shows or demonstrates his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Even when we're at our worst, God will do what it takes to bring us to our best. He wants to redeem you and take you to the next level. He loves you. He calls you his son and daughter. He calls Gideon a great, mighty hero. Not because of where we're at now, though he loves us where we are now. He sees who we can become. Are you letting God shape you into who you be can become? Now, if you're like me, the reason that I get stuck, even last night, Paul and I are putting kids to bed in separate bedrooms, and I'm texting her my insecurities, and I'm thinking to myself, I just listen to the wrong voice often. I listen to the enemy of my soul saying, I'm not worth it. I'm not valuable. People don't like me. All these different things, and you have that same voice going through your head. Or you think about your past. You think about who you were, or you think about the previous weekends, or even this past weekend, something that you did, and you're like, I, I'm not good enough. What's interesting, Satan reminds us of who we are and what we've done. God reminds us of who we will be and what we will do. You can choose whom you listen to. God declares Gideon, 
a mighty hero, not because he was, but because he will be. You are his masterpiece. You are chosen by him to receive God's love through Christ. We live in that. We are called as the unlikely to do great things for him. And in that call, when we doubt, God promises to give us assurance. He promises to remind us over and over and over again that you belong to him. And he has great plans for you. And he wants to do great things in and through you. Look what happens again to Gideon. Verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Here's God saying, look, I know you don't see it now. You think you're just a farmer. I see you as a hero. Go out and do amazing things. What are Gideon's first words? But Lord, how often? How often that we respond to God like that? But God, look at me. But God, I can't do that. I'm not equipped. I'm not as good as that other person. I can't do great things for you. And God's like, I'm not asking you to doubt me. I'm asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to take me at, your word, at my word. And yet, Gideon, like us, he just has excuses. Well, how can I re rescue Israel? I mean, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in my entire family. On and on and on the excuses are. And God, we would think God would be like, yes, I accept your excuses. You're right. You can't do it. Go back and just be a farmer. But God, in his grace, says this. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. There are two barriers to having an ongoing relationship with God. The one is you forget who you are in Christ. The other one is fear. Fear will grip you. Fear will keep you out of God's presence. Fear will grind you down in the ground and forget that God is with you and God is for you. It is so easy to forget about it and get stuck in it. And yet, Gideon is so kind, or God is so kind to Gideon. He reminds him, I'm with you. When's the last time that you and I really sat in his presence and thought, even when God's asking me to do the impossible, even when God's declaring over me these things that I, I'm trying to believe, when's the last time I said, okay, it's good because God is with me. He's not leaving isn't that good enough? Why isn't it? If we truly lived as if God was with us, we could do everything and anything because we would believe him and know he's with us, but it holds us back. One of my favorite stories in scriptures in Mark 9, it's probably one of my favorite stories because it's, it's a story of a dad who's just struggling with his son. His son is sick. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, look, I believe you, but you got to help me overcome my unbelief. And so often we find ourselves in that position too. And God is reminding you, if you're here, if you're questioning the Lord, he will not go away. And he will remind you over and over again that you're his masterpiece and that he loves you and that he sent Jesus to die for you and that you don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy and you don't have to be scared of the future because he is with you. He gives you that assurance. 
And Gideon's going to need that insurance. Because at this point, Gideon has a 30,000-person army to go up against 135,000 Midianites. 30,000 to 135,000. I can guarantee you what you and I are betting on. In fact, there were so many Midianites that the Bible says it looked like it was a swarm of locusts. You know how sometimes you go out and you have these mayflies attacking you or these mosquitoes and they're just everywhere? That's how the Midianites were. They're everywhere. Like a plague of locusts. And God says, 30,000 people? You have too many. Because look what happens. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave and so in the mountain and go home. And so 22,000 of them went home, leaving them 10,000 who were willing to fight. Two things stick out to me in this story. One, he says, who doesn't believe me? Two-thirds of them didn't. One-third of them did. What camp are you in? Do you believe God? Or are you going to say, ah, I'm tapping out on this one? Down to 10,000. And Gideon's like, okay, 10,000, this is not a good situation. I can work with that. And God's like, nope. Let's whittle it down again. Judges chapter 7, verse 4. The Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. He goes down there and tests them, and 300 people pass the test. So the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. I bet you Gideon was like, okay. I just want to go back to the basement, to the wine press, and just struggle. Not only are you making me uncomfortable with calling me a hero, even when I go back at you with excuses... You still say, no, 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 I believe in you. I believe in you because I'm with you. And when I'm with you, you can do anything. And I think finally Gideon's like, all right, 30,000, wow. It's going to be tough, but I'm ready to go. And God whittles his army down to 300. Why? Why does he do that? Because God is glorified through the most unlikely people in the most daunting circumstances. Gideon is an everyday farmer. He's not a hero. God says he is. Gideon is scared and he has excuses why he can't do it. God says, I am with you. Gideon has an army of 30,000. He whittles it down to 300 and God says, now I'm ready to win the battle. Why couldn't he have done it with 30,000? It's the same thing in our life. When you and I do something and we feel like we did it in our own strength, how often do we point it to God and say, God, that was you. So often because we're prideful, because we're selfish, because we think so much more about ourselves than we do anybody else, when something good happens, we want to take the credit. Now, when something bad happens, God, of course. But when it's good, it's us. And he is protecting Gideon from himself. 
He's saying, Gideon, I'm going to put you in an impossible situation. I'm going to call you out of the wine press. I'm going to make you into a hero. I'm going to lead you, even though you don't think you can. I'm going to give you 300 men. And in the end, spoiler alert, they're going to win the battle and not one Israelite will die. Why? Because at the end of this situation, he wanted the Israelites and Gideon to learn one thing. Here's what he wants the Israelites to learn. He says, you have too many warriors with you, and if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they've saved themselves by their own strength. Do you know why Christianity and religion don't go together? Because religion says, I did it myself. I read the Bible, I prayed, I came to church, I gave money, I was a good person, I held the door open for the older person. We do all these things and we say, I did it. And God says, let me bring around God who is going to die in your place, do what you couldn't do, resurrect three days later, and then you're gonna have to submit to him. Then he will get the glory. That's why Christianity works and religion doesn't. It has to rid us of ourselves. Because the fuller we are of ourselves, the more we don't have God in our lives. But when we're filled up with God, then we can put ourselves to the side and that's what leads to a successful life. And it also taught the Israelites through Gideon this. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler, you and your son, your grandson will be our rulers. You have rescued us, it'll say. And I would be like, yep, I sure did. Sign me up, I'll be your leader. Let's do this vision. Let's put this system in place. You got, a, you got a king seat for me. I like good food. You guys take care of me because I took care of you. And we may not say that publicly, but we say, think that in our heart, like, I did this. I deserve credit. And yet Gideon, because he was an everyday farmer, turned into a mighty hero because he gave excuses and God said, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. Because he whittled his army down to 300 people, Gideon was in a place where he knew he couldn't do it himself. And therefore, Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son, but the Lord will rule over you. In other words, I can't lead you because I can't lead myself. And anything that good comes in my life is because of God. And when you and I live like Gideon, people are going to notice things in your life. And instead of you saying, oh yeah, it was me. You just say, I'm just telling you, my life's a mess. And I'm a mess. But somehow God calls me a mighty hero. Somehow when I give him excuses why I can't, he gave me the strength to do it. And against all odds, he allowed me to have success. And therefore, I want to lead, I want to be led by God. And I think you should too. What a great opportunity we have as Christ followers to point people away from us to Jesus. Gideon tells us and shows us that the undaunted faith comes by which we understand God calls the unlikely to do great things. So as we wrap up our message series, I just want to ask a few follow-up questions. Going back a few weeks ago, I got to teach on Zacchaeus. What were the way, what, in what ways will you be undaunted like Zacchaeus in his pursuit of Jesus? Zacchaeus did whatever it took to pursue Jesus, even climbing a tree. Are you doing whatever it takes to pursue Jesus amongst all other things in your life? Or in what other ways will you be undaunted in your serving like Dorcas? Dorcas's name was changed because she was known by her lifestyle in which she lived her life to serve other peoples. 
Are you living your life to be served? Or are you living your life to serve? One way follows the world's way. The other way follows Jesus' way, which says, I gave up my life for others. Will you be undaunted in your leadership like Deborah? Leadership is not a position. Leadership is influence. As a parent, as a coach, as a friend, you have influence. Will your life look like Deborah, who used her influence in incredible ways? And then finally, in what ways will you be undaunted by trusting the Lord and stepping out of fear into faith, just as the mighty hero Gideon did? You see, God calls the most unlikely people to do great things. You're unlikely, and so am I. If you position yourself well in a humble way, God will do great things through you. Will you allow him to? Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for this story. Man, I, I can't fathom all the times where I've told you who I'm not. Or I've listened to the enemy of my soul tell me that, and yet, God, you're telling me who I am. How many times I've given you excuses, and you say, I am with you. How many times I've wanted to take credit for things, and you put me in a position where only you get the credit. God, help us to live in light of that. That's the happiness we're looking for. Change our lives through your grace, Lord. In your name, amen.